Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Oh! Welcome to the program. My name is Jim Rome. We're coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage Studios. Whether you want to buy a home or refinance your current home, Rocky can. So you might be asking yourself, why is he owing on a Monday? Game on. That's why. <laughs> He's already calling his own number. There he is. If you're watching on CBS Sports Network, the man, the legend, the old man, the old legend, Ike. Oh, I love it. Who knows what the hell is going to happen today? Ike is pushing the buttons. Finally. (laughs) This guy. We're already off the rails, and I haven't even started anything yet. I haven't even given you the phone number yet. Just know. Ike is pushing the buttons. Do what you want with that because I know he's going to do whatever the hell he wants and I can make no promises going forward. All right, welcome to the program. That's how we're starting things off. Garrett Ritt is behind the control panel. Your telephone number is toll free. I've got a lot to get done. 1-800-636-8686. Go ahead, hit me right now. Toll free, 1-800-636-8686. You can follow me on Twitter at Jim Rome. Social media always works. And you can email us at Rome, R-O-M-E, at haveatake.com. The show sets up like this. Coming up at 940 Pacific Time, I've got a senior writer for SI, Chris Mannix. You know him. Coming up at 1040, also Pacific Time, I've got a linebacker with the Ravens. Adafe Owe, coming up at the top of our number three, the author of Ricky, the life and legend, Ricky Henderson. Howard Bryant wrote that book. That book, if I'm not mistaken, is going to drop tomorrow. And Ricky, of course, is an all-timer and a source of great jungle fascination and personal fascination. So I'm eager to talk to Howard Bryant about that. Lots to cover on this Monday in ATP. And most importantly, Ike. Rit behind the board. So who knows what's going to happen? That's the beauty of having Ike. I said to him when he sat down, I'm like, hey, Ike, did you get enough notice? Did you have time to put your tie on? He said, oh, no, that's the old me. I'm like, what? If there's one lock in life, it's that you will never, ever change, old man. He goes, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I'm different. Adapt, adapt and change. So my man's in the front row and not rocking a tie. I don't know what that is. Can't do it. 1-800-636-8686. Understand that when Ike works, he has the same archive that Alvin has, but doesn't have the bandwidth or the wherewithal. But incredibly, he seems to know where all of his own drops are. I don't know about any of the other ones, but he knows where all of his are. All right, let's get started. And I've got a smack-off profile coming up a little bit later on because it is, in fact, smack-off season. After getting run out of their own building in the fourth quarter of Game 1, Golden State had to win last night. Like I said Friday, you lose game two, and you may as well not even bother flying to Boston because that series is already over. But last night was not just a must win. It was more than that. Just winning to stay alive was not going to be enough. Golden State had to win a certain way. They had to send a message. Golden State had to make a statement. Do not let Boston fly home happy with that split. They had to put some doubt in their minds. They had to make Boston know that while they may not be the vintage Warriors, that if you drop your hands and you get too cocky, you still get clocked. You can still get knocked the hell out. And that's exactly what happened last night. They came out, Golden State, with a different level of aggression. A level of aggression that would suggest that they knew they would DOA if they lost that game. 
I mean, why do you think Draymond Green started doing Draymond Green things from the very second the ball went up? He knew he couldn't play or that he didn't play well enough in game one. Just as he knows, they often go as he goes. So he was going to do everything he could to not knock over the backboard again like he did in game one when he shot two for 12. And he was going to do everything that he could do to get under Boston's skin and in their domes. You know, everything that he could do to, well, be Draymond Green. There was the technical while battling with Grant Williams. And there was even more of that with this exchange he had with Jalen Brown. Brown had a notion, now pulls, fouled. And that's going to be a foul against Draymond Green. If you're Draymond Green, you got to be careful. You already have a technical foul. And if you're Jalen Brown, you got to try to entice him. Absolutely. In a normal course of a game, this would be a, a double team. Brown took exception to Green's legs being on him as he fell. It's a defensive foul on Green stands. There's no further penalties on this play. I pretty much agree with all of that. Like, Green wasn't just getting in Brown's space. Brown thought that he was getting into his pants. But I don't know what I was supposed to do there. Some guy he got your they legs on on the top of your head, um, and then he tried to pull my pants down. I don't know what that was about, but you know that's what Draymond Green does. He'll do whatever it takes to win. Yeah, I know exactly what that was about. Easy, easy, Ike. That's not what that was about. No, what that was about was Draymond being Draymond, Draymond doing Draymond things. Like I don't know if Green was trying to pants Brown. I doubt that. Like, it's going to be a long day, man. It's going to be a long week. It's going to be a long life. I feel like I've already been here for the entire program. I feel like I've done a whole show already. Because I'm walking around like I'm in a landmine here, and there's a grenade over there, and what's Ike going to do next? I have no idea. I'm, I'm six minutes in. I'm already exhausted because of Ike. He's just wearing me out mentally. Anyway, I don't know if Draymond was trying to pants Brown or not. Like, I doubt it. I just know he's trying to win, and he's going to do whatever it takes to win. Putting legs on dudes' heads, getting in their space, getting in their heads. And yeah, if you told me that Draymond was trying to take Brown's pants down in order to get a win, he probably would. And you could argue, here's the thing, you could argue that Brown should have played more like Draymond last night. I understand that that's where Draymond lives. I understand that Brown might not be about that life. Most people aren't. But Draymond was already carrying a technical going into that exchange. So, make that an even bigger incident. Do not let cooler heads prevail. And then you force the refs to eject Draymond. You know, they don't want to in a game like that. But you give them no choice if you kind of escalate. I'm not saying that, that that's how Brown plays. I'm not saying that's how he wants to play. But that's how that game was being played last night. And in the finals... You're probably best off fighting fire with fire. So the Warriors did that last night. Boston did not. Golden State brought the fire. They showed up with more physicality and more aggression, aggressive, aggressiveness, I should say. And you're not going to out-tough the Celtics. They won't fear you, but you've got to make them feel you. Like, I'll give you an example. Golden State plays zone. For one play, they allow a three. Then the rest of the game, it was man-to-man. Get up in a guy's grill and body him up. Gary Payton the second was back. His presence was felt. He was getting into Jason Tatum. He was getting into Jalen Brown. 
Al Horford, for instance, went from transcendent in game one to invisible in game two. Brown was a force in the fourth quarter of game one, but a non-factor overall last night. So game two was actually the inverse of game one. Jason Tatum went for 28. Al Horford went for two. It's two for me. Marcus Smart went for two. It's two for me. Boston had three starters who combined for six points. And here's the other thing about the Celtics. And you chowds know this already, but as good as they are, as tough as they are, and they are good enough, and they are tough enough to win the whole thing. But they also have this crazy proclivity for napping it out at the worst possible time. And while it has not come back to bite them in the ass yet overall, it could. Because we've seen that act before. That was no one-off. That was not an anomaly. This is who they are, and this is what they do. It's their biggest flaw. They hit the snooze button. Truth is, you never really know which Celtics team is going to show up. But you know it as soon as you see it because their spacing falls apart, their offensive flow falls apart. Hell, everything falls apart. Boston's players know it. Their coaches know it. And yet it still happens. But most of all, Steph Curry knows it. And when Golden State put the game in his hands and said, go win it for us, he did just that. Especially when he put Horford on skates with this. Curry working against Horford, took his ankles. And when he was not destroying ankles, he was blowing minds. It's incredible how much of the load he had to carry. Incredible how much pressure is on this guy. But he was there for it. He's built for it. Because it was not just his scoring. It was how he moved, how he controlled Boston's defense, how he forced them to come to him. And then he found guys for open looks who were knocking him down. So what I'm saying is Golden State needed that in the worst way. Not just the win, but how they won. Not just the win, but the blowout. And they needed rest for Steph in the fourth. Like Clay has not looked like Clay. Poole looked a little bit more like himself last night, but offensively, it's been all Curry. Man's game. He's carried them. Way to keep up, Ike. I like it. I like it. It's a man's game, Ike. Man's game. Steph has carried them through the first two games. He might have to carry them the rest of the way. He only played 32 minutes. I say only last night, which is huge because he'll probably have to go 40-plus for the rest of the series. He'll probably have to do that both nights in Boston because if those games are close, you know he's not sitting down. Golden State did not solve all of their problems last night. Far from it. They know it's only going to get tougher, but they got the win and they gave Boston something to think about. Yes, overall we did get another blowout. Yes, the product was once again ass as it's been throughout the entire postseason last night. But I'll tell you what, I'll take it. I'll take it because that blowout did send a message to the Celtics, and now we have an actual series, despite how ugly it was last night. In fact, we have a series because of how ugly it was last night, so that's a good thing. Here's hoping Game 3 is competitive like Game 1. The Celtics need to remember that the N in NBA is for national, not narcolepsy. Try not to fall asleep in the most important game in your life. They usually bounce back, but then they usually nap it out after a win. 
Nice job, Ike. Where'd you find that one? 1-800-636-8686. So again, on the one hand, right when you thought that we had gotten beyond the postseason is ass product, it's back. It was ass once again last night. But at least it's evidence that we have ourselves a series. Because if Boston wins that game, that thing is already over. And Golden State need not even bother getting on the plane. 1-800-636-8686. Or hit me up on social media. All right, some other things I want to get to. Drake still sucks at sports betting. A Rangers fan, I know you were feeling good about you. But the second you saw him hit your team, you should have known you had no chance. Especially with the parlay involved. So, Obbs. Obbs thought he was going to make a lot of money last night. Dropped 450 k on a parlay that would have paid him over a mil. Of course, the Rangers lost. I've got a player profile coming up. I did say last week. If you want to enhance your chances of getting a smack-off player profile, you know what you should do? You should RSVP. Because I don't want to spend the time hyping people that may or may not show up. But if you RSVP, I know you're going to be there. Mark in Boston RSVP'd. In fact, RSVP'd the right way. So he earned himself a player profile, which I will get to later on today. And you're on the clock, and you're running out of time. It is smack-off season. Smack-off number 28 is June 24th. Invite only. Back to the association for a minute. Jazz fan. I feel for you today because late yesterday, you all received a direct kick to your collective stick. Quinn Snyder leaves or got run off or left amicably. I'm not exactly sure how that went down. I just know he's gone, and that's not a good thing. And Jazz fan, do not come in here and try to convince yourself it is. Do not come in here and tell me, yeah, Rome will. He never got out of the second round. Let me tell you something. Do you remember what he inherited? The fact that they never got out of the second round is not on him. So I want to get to that. That's a bad thing. That's not a good thing for you, Jazz fan. Quinn Snyder stepping down or pushed out or both. Speaking of not a good thing, the hell happened to the Angels? Were we not just talking about the Angels being a postseason team? Were we not just talking about Mike Trout finally being on the big stage and how great that was for him and the Angels and Major League Baseball? Remember when we had that conversation? Neither do I. They've lost 11 straight. 11 straight. And yesterday was the worst of all. You know, I may go off the board altogether. When somebody does something so unbelievable in a sport that normally you don't want to talk about, I have to acknowledge it. Thank you. What the hell are you thanking me for? What is that? Yeah, Are you thanking me for talking about a sport? Hey, Ike, what is that? Like, Are you a tennis guy or do you just think that it's good that I'm talking about something I normally might not talk about? What is it? Oh, Ike. Ike thanked himself for doing something so phenomenal. It's, it's already starting. I, I, did you think that when I said that I'm going to talk about something that I normally don't talk about, that I was going to talk about your kickball league or your bowling league? Are you playing horse in the driveway? No, idiot. I was going to talk about Rafa. Ike's like me, Rafa, same thing. What's the difference? We're both the goats. <laughs> no, I was actually going to talk about Nadal. But yeah, maybe Ike, maybe I'll talk about your exploits. Maybe it is your time. You did step up in a big way. No, Rafa, 
It has won the French Open 14 times, which is incredible. I mean, if we were talking about no tip in Pete Sampras being one of the greatest ever, doesn't he have 14 slams total? This guy's won the same slam 14 times and did so with his foot asleep at age 36. So I may get there too. What do you say y'all pick me up? I'm not saying that I need your help. I'm not saying I'm desperate. I'm saying I'm working with Ike. I'm saying that Ike is pushing the buttons. So why don't you step in here? (laughs) And it's Black Monday. Anything could happen. 1-800-636-8686. Why don't we get some reaction before we go to break? Dear Jim, it's only fitting that old man Ike is on the board for June 6th. Operation O. M.G. Signed, Jim and Hastings. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. If I'm not mistaken, today is, in fact, the 78th anniversary of D-Day. June 6th, 1944, a.k.a. Ike Eisenhower's finest moment. You were there, Ike. What was it like? Take us back. Ike, remember when you stormed the beaches of Normandy? Chris in Milwaukee, Jimmy, a curry is more than a spice. Thanks. Signed, Mark Jackson. A hero is more than a sandwich. Well done. Well done. I like that. A curry is more than a spice. I got a question. Green, red, or yellow? Curry, I mean. A curry is more than a spice. Thanks, Mark Jackson. (laughs) Hey, Rome. No tie on Rit in the front row? He must have finally sat through enough episodes of the side hustle to the original side hustle. It's reinvention time for the old man. JP in Riverside. I mean, I don't know. There is that whole notion that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. There is this notion of dogmatic, which is one of my favorite words. If there's one thing that I'm sure of in life, it's that Rit thinks he's right and that he's never changing. Yet he shows up out of tie and says, it's the new me? <laughs> hey, Jim. Had a chance to listen to the Terry Crews interview over the week. Such a powerful and humbling story. Easily one of my new favorite guests in interviews, Mike and La Quinta. Appreciate that, Mike, very much. That's on the Reinvention Project. Terry Crews is incredible. That's the side hustle to the side hustle. If you're wondering what that's all about, Go to, you know, just go to either one of my, any one of my social media platforms and click in the bio. We went to dinner and a waiter came to me at the restaurant, 23-year-old guy by the name of Tyler. And he goes, excuse me, are you Jim Rome? I said, yes, sir. He said, I just have to say, the reinvention project. And he went on and on about the reinvention project. He said, me and my dad. So I love that. that. That was the highlight of my weekend, honestly. A 23-year-old guy coming up to me and saying, I love the reinvention project. And he started ticking off guests. And he said to me, my favorite episode was episode one, where you lay it all out. It's a 23-year-old kid. So find that, clones. Ike did, obviously. If he's showing up at the front row without a tie, I know it. And finally, yo, Jim, I thought the N in NBA was for nut punch. Signed, Chris Paul. Casey in New Hampshire. You might be. I thought the A in NBA was for ass because the product was again. 
All right. Off and running. So far, so good. We survived the first segment with Ike. We have eight more to go. Game on. Eight more segments may as well be eight more months. Eight more years. Not one. Not two. Eight. Are you craving some protein after a good workout? Do not make a shake or eat a bar. Instead, grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Wild Trapper, because Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender, and it's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. Old Trapper is a family-owned business that takes smoked beef extremely seriously, and you can taste it in every single bite. I mean, who wants dried-out, tough beef in a bag? No one. It's like eating a shoe. Old Trapper is the real deal, and it comes in four amazing flavors. Old Fashioned is sweetened with a touch of brown sugar goodness, teriyaki, peppered, and hot and spicy for those of you who like to take things up a notch. Next time you want a great protein and energy snack that you can have anytime, anywhere, grab some Old Trapper beef jerky. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. That way you can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares Old Trapper with your beef. All right, as promised, we're joined right now by a senior writer for Sports Illustrated, NBA analyst for NBC Sports Boston, boxing analyst for The Zone, host of the Crossover NBA Show podcast with Chris Mannix and Howard Beck, host of Boxing with Chris Mannix podcast. He is, of course, Chris Mannix. Chris, what's going on? How are you? Uh-oh. Gonzo. Kind of a weird thing. Like, I hit the hotline, and then he was gone. Yeah, I'm not even sure that that wasn't my fault. That may, in fact, have been my fault. Let's try it again. The intro is already done. Are you bringing that up yourself, guys? Hey, Chris, how are you? What's up? I, I didn't even get a chance to spit out a hot take, Jim. Before you hung my up. man, you can now. You can now. You got all the time <laughs> in the world. What's going on? How you doing? I'm good, man. How you doing? Good, good, good. All right, so you've written, uh, there are two words that are going to haunt the Celtics and their fans in the last few rounds, and those two words are third quarter. They were not a bad third quarter team the regular season, but, Chris, against Milwaukee, Miami, and in the first two games against Golden State, they have had some disasters. What's going on? How do you explain that? It's really hard to explain because it's a relatively new phenomena for this Celtics team. Um, like you said, uh, regular season, they were plus 2.7 in the third quarter. Playoffs, they were minus 0.8, which is bad, but not catastrophically bad. But they have just had some absolute disasters over these last few rounds. Game three against Milwaukee. Game one against Miami. And the last two games of the series where they just had the doors blown off them in the third quarter. Now, now Golden State is a great third quarter team. The numbers reflect that. But the Celtics, after playing the Warriors like nip and tuck for the first two quarters of both games, should not be getting just annihilated in this quarter. And look, I don't know that there's a X's and O's answer to it. I think in a way it's just a mindset that you come out with. You've got to be as prepared from the opening minute as your opponent is. The Celtics haven't been that way. I mean, if I'm Ime Udoka, I almost think outside the box a little bit, like, all right, we go back to the locker room, and instead of talking about the first half, we, you know, watch CeeLo Green in the halftime show. Like, I don't know. Like, something different. <laughs> something has to change, you know, dramatically for these Celtics because they can't keep playing catch-up uh, against Golden State. They did it in the first, uh, in game one, behind ridiculous performances by Al Horford and Derek White. They weren't able to do it in game two, and 
Uh, I don't know they're going to be able to do it much the rest of the series. Chris Mannix is joining us. All right, Chris, so in terms of mindset, I mean, sometimes a team will win game one on the road, and then they'll show up the following game like they're happy to get that split and just happy to get that split. Did you sense any of that happening with the Celtics last night? No, because you can usually see that early on. And I think Boston had something like a nine-point lead in the first quarter. They came out aggressive. Jalen Brown was making shots. Um, the defense looked locked in. They, they looked like they were coming to get two games out of this series. And really, all throughout the first half, they were connected. It was only a two-point game at halftime. And then just the third quarter, I mean, I don't want to keep repeating myself, they just let their, their, the foot up, took their foot off the gas in that third quarter and allowed Steph Curry to wriggle loose and have a great third, 14 points, play great defense in that third. I thought Draymond's energy was a big factor in this game. They moved him on to Jalen Brown uh, during game two, and, and he was great in that capacity. Uh, the Celtics have to find a way to match that energy. Simple as that. Now, you can say, and you might be justified in saying, that you know, they go home, they have the home crowd behind them, it's going to be rabid in Boston for games three and four, but they have to make sure they channel that because Golden State, even on the road, is going to play with a high level, level of energy in this series. Talking to Chris Mannix, you actually mentioned a couple of things I wanted to ask you about. Draymond Green coming out with the kind of energy and aggression that he did. Also, Steph getting off the way he did. Let me ask you this. If you're Steve Kerr, how concerned are you about the fact that Klay Thompson got loose in Game 5 of the Conference Finals? But since then, Chris, he's 10 of 33, including 4 of 15 from deep. Is it something that can change over the course of the series? Or is this just where he is right now in his comeback? Yeah, this is where he is. Jim, I, I think if you leave Clay alone for standalone jump shots, he's still going to make them like the old Clay Thompson. Um, if you ask him to do a lot more, he's just not going to be able to do it. I mean, I, it, it's not to say he will never be able to do it again, but he is just several months into a comeback from two major injuries. It's asking a lot for a player to be able to move like he once did, defend like he once did and shoot kind of out, anything outside of stand-up jump shots like he once did. I was talking to people in Dallas about this, and, and they were saying a lot of the same things, like Clay's still dangerous when left alone, but if you ask him to play off the dribble, if you ask him to defend quicker guys, he just can't do it right now. So I think you know, the, if you're Steve Kerr, you've got to find ways to, to open up Clay for those standalone jump shots because otherwise – it's just going to be really difficult for him to have big nights. Chris Mannix is joining us. Chris, Boston does not necessarily need Marcus Smart to go for 18 the way he did in Game 1. And it might not be fair, for instance, to expect 26 from Al Horford every night, right? But how do you explain their combined four points last night? Yeah, I, I can't. I mean, Marcus missed a lot of shots, um, and that's, that's something that he has to work on because he was open for some of those shots. And if you left open, you got to make them. Golden State... Their defense, um, it just, they're going to leave you open. They're going to leave some guys open. It's the way their defense is kind of built, where they scramble around, pay a lot of attention to Jason Tatum. Somebody's going to be open. And when you're Marcus Smart and Al Horford, if you're open, you've got to take some shots. But Al Horford got frustrated a lot in game two. He had a lot of point-blank shots. He just missed. Like, he was three feet, four feet from the basket, and he was just missing off the side of the rim. And I thought that kind of roller-coastered a little bit for him. And by the fourth quarter – you know, it was it was it was garbage time for everybody out there. But both those guys, they don't have, to your point. They don't have to score twenty, but they've got to score like twelve to fifteen. They've got to be efficient doing it. 
They've got to be low turnover. That's the big thing we haven't talked about. 19 turnovers was a disaster for Boston. 11 live ball turnovers, meaning they turned the ball over in the open floor, and that led to points for Golden State, 33 points for Golden State to be exact. I mean, that can't happen. And we can talk adjustments, Jim, in a lot of ways. Basketball is about that. It's about the nuances of it. But if you commit 19 turnovers and your opponent gets 33 points off them, you're not going to win many games. It's as simple as that. So that's the big number the Celtics have to clean up going into game three. Don't keep, don't turn the ball over quite as much. Chris Mannix, my guess, you're right. We had not talked about that, but I was going to talk about that. I want to emphasize that point. 19 turnovers leading to 33 points. Boston allowed 10 points off turnovers only in game one. So on, on some level, Chris, I feel like whoever turns the ball over less is going to win. Let me ask you this. You recently had a conversation with Danny Ainge about this Celtics team and their road to the finals. What did you take away from that conversation about how he built this team and what he saw in some players that maybe others did not see well he saw a lot because a lot of the moves he made the draft picks he made were not no-brainers I mean we look at Jason Tatum now and we might forget that Markel Fultz was the home run pick back in the 2017 draft a year before Jalen Brown his pick was actually booed at TD Garden by fans that wanted Providence's Chris Dunn to be the Celtics draft pick that year so Danny made some unpopular choices during his time as GM but I think Danny saw, in a way, the evolution of the game. And what I say by that, I mean kind of emphasizing long, lengthy, multi-position types of players who can all shoot. I mean, they drafted Grant Williams, and Grant was not a great shooter when he was at Tennessee, but the Celtics staff, they thought they saw a great shooter in Grant Williams. He's turned out to be that type of guy. Um, you know, you look at the Tatum, Brown, guys like that they've drafted. These are all guys that play multiple positions and who can shoot the basketball. And that's something that has become a premium in today's NBA. And I think Danny recognized that early. Now, Danny was great, but this team definitely needed Brad Stevens, too. I, I, to my, I'll take to my grave, Jim, that Danny doesn't make the trade to get Al Horford because you have to include a first-round pick. Danny doesn't make the trade to get Derek White because you included a first-round pick and swap rights down the line. So these were moves that Brad Stevens made that I don't think Danny Ainge would have, and that's a big reason why the Celtics are in the finals, too. Really interesting. Chris Mannix joining us. So before you go, Chris, really quickly then, where does that leave Utah? Ainge, of course, no longer with Boston. He's with Utah Jazz now. The Jazz announced yesterday Quinn Snyder is stepping down. What is your sense as to what's happening in Utah right now? Is it just about a change at head coach, or are there more changes coming? Uh, well, I think there could be more changes coming. Um, I think Quinn Snyder believed that he had taken this team as far as he could. I think he believed in a way he wasn't getting through to Donovan Mitchell in the same way he was getting through to him before. And he realized this was the right time to walk away. I think Danny Ainge, and this is just speculation on my part, but if there's overwhelming offers for both Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, I think Danny Ainge takes them. I think he understands that this jazz team is not a championship team. And Mike Conley is getting a little bit older, and right now you have a chance with both Gobert and Mitchell in the prime of their careers under long-term contracts, you might be able to get the kind of haul that the Celtics got for Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, Rajon Rondo, the core of that team moving forward. I, I, it doesn't mean it's going to happen, but if there are teams out there like the Knicks, the Warriors, the Raptors that might be very interested in the players the Jazz have, if they're willing to throw young talent and swap rights and draft picks into a trade, 
I think the Jazz will will strongly consider them. So, Chris, is one quick follow before I let you go. Where do you come out on Quinn Snyder as a head coach? Do you think that he's one of those masterminds, one of the best in the league, or maybe not so? Where do you come out on him? I think he's a very good coach. It sure sounds like Charlotte is too far along to really consider Quinn Snyder for that job, but he'll probably take a year off and he'll be back. There's been a lot of people connecting him to San Antonio if Greg Popovich retires after a year. And I've heard Oklahoma City mentioned as a possible landing spot if they decide to make a coaching change after next year. So I think Quinn takes a year off, but he will be a desired commodity whenever he decides to get back into coaching again. He is a senior writer for SI, the NBA analyst for NBC Sports Boston, boxing analyst for DAZN. Got a couple of great podcasts as well and a very, very good friend of the program. He is Chris Mannix. Chris, thank you very much. I appreciate that. That was great. Anytime, Jim. You're the best. Chris Mannix. And when I say you're the best, that's not a throwaway. Like, he's the best. My man covers a lot of ground, lots of sports at a very high level. All right, 1-800-636-8686. What are your thoughts on that? What is it about Boston in the third quarter? Like, you know what you're going to get from Golden State in the third quarter. Always, always. But what is it about Boston in the third quarter? Also, as a reminder, Monday is an ATP day. Every single Monday where you get to ask the pros. You clones ask me a question. It's brought to you by O'Reilly Auto Parts. Go to cbssportsradio.com slash pros. Ask me a question. I will answer one or more of them later on. And in the meantime, you want to thank O'Reilly Auto Parts for all of your car care needs. Get guaranteed low prices and excellent customer service from the professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts. People want to know where Alvin is. I'll tell you where he is. He's not here. That's where he is. But that opens up an opportunity. Next man up. Next legend up. That gave Ike an opportunity to jump to the front row. You know that old saying about when coaches, assistant coaches, become head coaches, and they're really only six inches away, but it might as well be 6,000 miles away when they move that one chair over? Same thing for Ike. When he moves that one chair forward, you wouldn't believe the difference. It may only be six feet, but it might as well be 6,000 miles. Rome, is Alvin tied up somewhere because he forgot the safe word again? Must have been one hell of a birthday party. Taylor in Lexington. That is ridiculous. Taylor, I'm not sure, bro. You're right. Last we saw of Alvin, we were celebrating his birthday. That was Friday. He had some vodka in the freezer. He was going to get nice, as only Alvin can get nice. And People we know what happens sort of when Alvin judge. decides to get nice. Kids pop out. And by nice, I mean he was going to have coitus. All right, I said it. However, normally he bounces back from that so-called refractory period. I remember that from sex education as a kid. Anyway, he normally bounces back pretty quickly, yet here he's not. Here the hell we are, but here he's not. Where the hell is he? I don't know. I just know he's not here. And last we saw of him, we were wishing him a happy birthday on air. Trade pros. Whether you specialize in service or new construction, Ferguson knows firsthand how much work goes into a long day on the job which is why we're committed to offering the products and solutions to get every job done right. 
With over a thousand locations, an unmatched selection of specialty products, tools, and supplies, our pro pickup and Samer next day delivery, you can trust that doing business with Ferguson will be the easiest part of your hard day's work. Visit ferguson.com to find a counter location near you. I've been anxious to do this, not only because I feel very strongly about my next guest, who I have great respect for, the topic is incredible. We're joined right now by somebody who represents NPR Weekend Edition, Meadowlark Media. He is an executive producer of Back on the Record with Bob Costas. He is an author of many books, which include The Last Hero, A Life of Henry Aaron, The Heritage, and Full Dissidence. His newest book, Ricky, The Life and Legend of an American Original, comes out tomorrow. He's a good friend of the program. He is Howard Bryant. Howard, my man, what's going on? Howard, how are you? I am I'm great, Jim. Thanks for having me. And I wanted to tell you just off the bat, out of the blue, I was just turning on the TV and I saw your your clip and you you didn't bet on your horse. What an incredible story, dude! Is that amazing? Is there is there a book in that, Howard? Is there a book in that? Could you imagine that the horse went off seventy to one and I always bet the horse and forgot and she won. That there's a movie in that. Dude, there, there is, man. There's a, there's a full documentary, and I'll never live that down. But thank you for bringing that up. Now, that is something else. It, it, I'm almost glad I didn't bet her. There's a much better story in it than me betting her. Howard Bryan joining us. All right, so I've been looking forward to this ever since I found out that you were going to write the book about Ricky Henderson, because Ricky Henderson, Howard, truly is an American original. When did you first start thinking about a book about Ricky? And we'll let you know that this would be a project that would be worthy of your time. Well, it all started back in 2014. I was in Washington, D.C. at the Smithsonian with Hank Aaron for his 80th birthday. And it was an incredible, incredible bash. All, you know, so many Hall of Famers were there. And so Henry and I were on stage talking about his career. And when we walked out of one of the events, it was Ricky's wife, Pamela, who came over to me and said, I want you to do for my husband what you did for Henry Aaron. And I was thinking, I didn't do anything for Henry Aaron. Wow. Hank Aaron stands on his own. But that's when we first started thinking about whether or not there was a book on Ricky and whether Ricky would want to do it. I mean, Ricky, Ricky is famously elusive and famously aloof and famous, famously famous for everything. And I also started thinking, you know, I am so tired. I mean, Jim, you know what I do. Everything we do with, you know, this country being as, divided and contentious and everything else and every story i write is always you know this this you know tough story and that tough story and this guy got shot and everything else and i was like you know what i want to write something fun i want to write something that reminds me of all the 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 joy that i got from these games and and also is there a baseball book that you can you know is there a guy who can carry an entire baseball biography and have it not be 85% steroids. And it started to go more and more. You know what? Maybe Ricky is the guy. And suddenly you start seeing it in your sights and you go, yeah, there is a book here. Extremely well said. Howard Bryant joining us. To me, like, it's a no-brainer. He's always been one of my favorites. There are so many things that are so fascinating about Ricky. i got to pick my spots here, Howard. We could do this for weeks. But let me ask you this. For instance, what was Ricky's relationship with baseball when he first started out, and what was his relationship like with football? Yeah, well, Ricky was football all the way. Ricky, it's really funny. Ricky, Ricky saw himself very similarly to the way that 
people saw Kyler Murray. And back when Kyler was drafted by the A's, there was a big question about, okay, baseball or football, baseball or football. Ricky was football all the way. Ricky wanted to be O.J. Simpson. Ricky was, was he, he believed that he could be the greatest running back of all time. And baseball was just something that he did because his eighth grade guidance counselor bribed him into playing because they didn't have enough players on the team. And, you know, the reason why he ended up going toward baseball and not football was because it didn't appear that he had the grades and his mother didn't think that he could stay healthy. So she was like, look, baseball is going to, you know, you're going to have a longer career and you get the money immediately. And so talk about a calculation to be that good to believe that you could be Hall of Fame level in two sports before even signing a contract. That is amazing. Howard Bryant's joining us. The book is called Ricky, The Life and Legend of an American Original. It comes out tomorrow. So, Howard, the A's scout who was assigned to Ricky is quoted as saying, quote, the biggest difference between Ricky and everybody else was his attitude. Ricky had something I could identify with. Ricky had that will to win. He didn't back down from anybody, end of quote. How much would you agree with that assessment? Oh, 100%. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this book is because when we think about Ricky – Everybody wants to tell Ricky stories, and all those stories are there, and all those stories are great to tell, and everyone talks about how weird Ricky is and all that, but this guy obliterated the record book. And what's, what's really fascinating about him is that, you know, Dennis Eckersley said it best, when Ricky put his nose in it, he said, I'm not talking about whether, you know, he was wanted, wanted to play or didn't want to play. I mean, when Ricky got in there, and it was just batter versus pitcher, there was nobody better. I mean, this guy wanted to win in a way that was never really reflected reputation-wise. And I was like, you know what, let's, let's dig into this. I mean, how do you look at a guy who is that good? And yet we don't really talk about how good he was. We talk about how quirky he was. And so that desire to win, you could see it from, from day one. And the, one of the biggest reasons why you could see it was because Ricky and, and Jim, we all know those guys. In fact, you know, sometimes we are that guy in our careers where you've got that chip on your shoulder and you're thinking people are underestimating me. And that's the motivation. And not only are they underestimating me, but they're not paying me. So Ricky's motivation was to show you how good he was and to make sure that he got every dollar that he was due. Howard, I don't think anybody, this is just me, I don't think anybody has ever gotten anywhere significant without that chip on their shoulder. I think you have to have that. I think you need That's that. Right. And, you know, as long as you're ethical about it, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I think it's necessary. You know, you mentioned, Howard, there are so many amazing stories about Ricky, and I'm sure some are true and some are not. Let me ask you this, though. What, for instance, did Ricky think of Jose Canseco, another all-time character and somebody different? Well, Ricky didn't have any real problem with Canseco at first. What Ricky had a problem with, because Ricky didn't, comp Ricky didn't compete against anybody. Ricky competed against everybody. And what Ricky saw was, wait a minute, I'm the engine around here, right? Canseco hits the big home runs and McGuire hits the big home runs. But if you're really looking at who starts this machine, it's me. And then what did the A's do? The A's gave Canseco, you know, modest money for today, but back then, five years, $23 million, set him through the roof. And what Ricky did was that Ricky was incredibly prescient about this. He's like, I'm the one getting the bad reputation. He's the one who's not played, and he's getting more money than me. So what ended up happening was 
you had these great championship teams with the A's, you know, they're 88 to 92 team, and they really got torn apart because of money. Because Canseco and Ricky were going back and forth, and then, you know, Canseco gets a back injury and he misses a game. So <laughs> Ricky's withholding services. Well, I'm not playing either. If you're going to allow this guy to not play, then I'm going to take my time as well. And it got, it got really ugly really fast. And it's really unfortunate because, to me, I don't know how you feel about it, Jim, but I still feel, even though they only won one title, the most dominant team I've seen in my lifetime is probably that A's team, even over those Yankees teams of the late 90s. That team was dynamite. I think that's fair. It would be hard for me to argue against that point. Howard Bryant joining us. They were unbelievable. They were unbelievable. And One won of my once. F- yeah, go ahead. And then they, and they won once. Right, right. Exactly. I mean, I mean, what an amazing clubhouse and the talent and the personalities. One of my favorite guys ever, Howard, one of my favorite guys ever is Dave Stewart. He features prominently in the book. How would you describe then his relationship with Ricky? Well, Stu and Ricky go back to the fifth grade. And you want to talk about something that I can't even imagine. Their little league team was Ricky, Stu, Lloyd Mosby, Gary Pettis, all on the same team. And they all made the major leagues, and they were all all all-stars. Insane. Right? And they go that far back, and I think the thing – I think Stu said it best. Where, you know, and he's actually Ricky's agent today. That's how far back and how tight they are. But he said the difference between Ricky and me is that Ricky played for money. Ricky played with that chip on his shoulder, but that chip on his shoulder was built around not getting what he felt was his financial due. He said, I played, and anybody who knows Dave Stewart or watched Dave Stewart with that glare at the mountain, how he said, I played for respect. I played to make sure that when it was all said and done, you didn't forget my name. And that's due to a T. Howard Bryant's joining us. You know, Ricky may have played for money, but as you point out, Howard, he wanted to win badly. And then it was the way he impacted games. You know, to your other point that he might be thinking to himself about Jose Canseco. Now, wait a minute. I'm the one setting this whole thing up. For instance, as you write, in May of 1977, Ricky was playing for the Modesto A's against the Fresno Giants. Ricky stole seven bases in seven attempts in one game, and he's convinced he could have got an eighth for everything else this guy could do on the field. How much were stolen bases at the core of his ability to impact a game and destroy an opponent? Well, that's the, that's the great thing about it now is that you look at the sport. They don't even do it, and it's not even part of the sport anymore. And so when you're looking at how he could affect the game, it's, it's fascinating to me how much he got in the middle of all the action, whether he's on first base and the pitcher is not thinking about the hit. It's the same thing they used to say about Jackie Robinson. Now you're not concentrating as much on the batter. Now you throw a meatball and, and, and here comes a big inning. And Ricky could just do all of those things. And, and of course, for him, his attitude was that stealing bases was the way to score runs. What he really wanted, even though people call, you know, he is the greatest base stealer of all time, his end game was scoring runs. And you look at the number of times when Ricky scored the first run, leadoff, you know, leadoff home run or whatever, his team's won like 68% of the games. I mean, so I don't even know if there's another stat that affects the final score as much as what Ricky could do when he got on base to start a game. 
there's no doubt about that. And then, Howard, this point about these stories, the Ricky stories, like he's so iconic. And the stories, we know the legendary stories, the John Olerud story, the Tony Gwynn tenure story, even the story about how, why he was born in a car. You know, as a journalist and like somebody who did this book, how do you explain these legends surrounding him? And then which ones did you determine to be true and which ones are false? Well, that's the fun. that was the fun part. And I was telling people, you know, if you think you're going to get, you know, 300 pages of, of third-person Ricky, you've come to the wrong place because there's so much else going on. However, what I really wanted to get at with this book more than anything else was you've got a guy, and we're far away from it now. I mean, Ricky started his career in 1979, so, you know, you've got to be a little up there to remember his entire career. That This guy was one of the most hated guys in baseball. People hated Ricky. They didn't like his style. They didn't like the way he played. They didn't like, you know, all that swagger. He's a, he was a made-for-TV guy. And he went against all the baseball conventions. But then, all of a sudden, somehow, someway, he becomes grandfatherly. He becomes beloved. He goes from one of the most disliked players to one of the most animated, one of the most funny, the whole thing. And I wanted to see, you know, see how did that go down as the stories <laughs> The stories were actually just sort of like, okay, let's dig in as much as we can and find out which one's true. And, of course, the famous one, the John Olerud story, <laughs> is actually not true. And the guy who is most responsible – God, I'm giving spoiler alerts in the book. But the, the guy most responsible for that story is, is Robin Ventura, the guy with the greatest, driest sense of humor ever. He's the ringleader behind that story. The story about whether or not Ricky actually framed a million-dollar bonus check without cashing it – 100% true. He just put it on the wall because he was so proud of making his money. And it was also his way of saving money. He didn't want to cash it yet because he would be too tempted to spend it. So he just put it on the wall and left it there and forgot about it. That Those are two of my favorite stories. And I know the second to be true because Dennis Gilbert used to tell me back in the day, Howard, that this is what happened. This is true. I I I know we don't want to give up any spoiler alerts. I hate the fact that the Olerud story is not true because it is the greatest story ever. And Robin Ventura must be laughing like to this day that he got that out there and everybody believes it. It is such an amazing story. You know, there's also something really serious before I let you go. As you write, quote, there was no question that Ricky suffered from an early reading disability that had not been addressed, end of quote. But is this true? In the minors, he went to work on reading. Did he effectively teach himself to read in three weeks? And if so, what yeah. does that say about him? Well, that's a true story. I and mean, Ricky and, and the guy who gave me that story was Mike Norris. Uh, Mike Norris, the great 20-game winner for the A's back in the early 80s. And he said they were in the minors in double-A in, in Jersey City. And Ricky was trying to write a letter to his girlfriend and, and couldn't spell any of the words. And, and he realized Ricky doesn't know how to read. And Mike was like, let me tell you how competitive Ricky was. I asked him, well, if I get called up and I'm not here, how are you going to read about what they're saying about you? How are you going to know what they're saying about you? Incredible. So he and Mike Norris sat there and read the newspaper for the rest of the baseball season. And Ricky essentially taught himself how to read. And Ricky, I asked Ricky, and Ricky said, yeah. They pushed me through school because I was a really good athlete. This is not uncommon, right? They, you're identified early on. You're pushed through the system. Howard, I'm curious. Like, so if Ricky's not necessarily what he appears, and most people and most things are not, what does Ricky make of all these stories about him? 
Well, it's funny you bring up the Olawood story. Ricky has learned to embrace it. There's a there's a hilarious Tony Bennett story in there as well in the book. I hope everyone gets a look and gets a sort of a laugh out of. But once again, about Ricky not being popular, he learned how to embrace it. And I guess when you get older, you realize, hey, these people do want to celebrate me. There's a difference between laughing at me and laughing with me. And I think there was a lot of balance. It's one of the reasons why Ricky didn't really talk to media that much, because he was convinced everybody was making fun of him. But on the other hand, he simply couldn't repress the fact that he's hilarious. And so finally, he has begun to sort of just embrace the stories because people love Ricky. And the greatest thing about the Olerud story is, is that it's not true. Ricky knows it's not true. But when Ricky went to the Red Sox in 2002, the story was so damn good, he went and told the Red Sox players that it was true. And then the next year, John Olerud goes to Boston, and they're asking him about the Olerud story. And Olerud says, it's not true. And they go, yeah, but even Ricky says it's true now. <laughs> That's great. That is that, that is so awesome. All right, one last thought. What about, you talk about how competitive Ricky was and is, card games. Card games are a central part of life Ooh. in baseball. What was Ricky like as a card player? Ricky, Ricky's a shark. Ricky was such a shark that, that they used to tell the rookies, do not play cards with Ricky. Do not. And Ricky would go in there and just take all of their money. Pat Borders tells the best story about how Ricky, when he was with the Blue Jays in 93, Ricky would just sit there acting all coy like he didn't know how to play and would just, at the end, show his cards and would just look at Pat Borders and say, did I win? (laughs) (laughs) Did I win? That's the best. He is a, not only an, an author of many, many books. He's got a brand-new book coming out, Ricky, The Life and Legend of an American Original. It comes out tomorrow. I was going to say, in addition to that, NPR Weekend Edition, Metal Arc Media, EP of Back on the Record with Bob Costas. He is a good friend of this show. He is Howard Bryant. Howard, congratulations. Awesome book. Great to get caught up, and I really do appreciate that so much. No, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Jim. You're the best. You're the best, Howard. What a great journal. Howard Bryant. Ricky Henderson, I mean, hard to imagine. You can see where he was polarizing back in the day because he had so much swag, so much swag. But hard to imagine that, quote, everybody hated Ricky at a point. I've always loved Ricky. Ricky was so awesome. So awesome. And these stories, the John Olrood story is, is so incredible. Like, I know that that's not true. I already knew that that was not true. I just always choose to believe that it is true. And even though Howard just said it, it's not true. It's not true. Ricky says it's true, so it's true. The entire world could tell me that story is not true, and I choose to believe that it's true. It is such a great story. How about Ricky going seven for seven in stolen bases in a game and thinking he could have gotten an eighth? When's the last time you saw anybody get a bag in Major League Baseball? Intentionally. Good stuff. So that book is called Ricky, The Life and Legend of an American Original. It comes out tomorrow. Hey, Ike, I know I'm putting you on the spot here. Can you go into that library and for old time's sake, find the Tony Gwynn cut? Tony Gwynn came to Tour Stop 4. Tour Stop 4 back in the day. You've got the smack off, which I have to reset every single day and explain to listeners who may or may not know what it is, which brings us to another topic that you may or may not know what it is, the tour stop. I used to go around and do these shows, and they were live shows, but they were not for air. And again, this is before social media. This is actually even before the internet, and I would do live shows. 
And one of the early ones was in San Diego. Shout out to the mighty 1090. We're back on the air there. And we were at the old Jack Murphy Stadium. And Tony Gwynn, in the prime of his career, came by. And on air, actually, this one was on air. A lot of the tour stops were not on air. This one was. And Tony told this amazing story about Ricky back in the day. Ricky's had a lot of trouble with his cleats. And, he, and every pair of shoes that he gets, one of the cleats break off. And he, he's gotten six or seven pair of shoes, and, and out of those six or seven, I mean five of them, a cleat has broken off. And so Ricky was in the let, – let me finish this, all right? Ricky was in the clubhouse the other day in Colorado, and, and uh, he had just made an out, and he rushed into the clubhouse to change his cleats. And I was sitting in my locker, and my locker was next to Ricky's, and Ricky came in, and he looked at me and says, Tony, man, Ricky cleats keep breaking every time. Every time I go out, Ricky can't do nothing out there without a cleat breaking. And, <laughs> that was Tony Gwynn on this show. That was probably, is there a year on that, Ike? That was tour stop number four. The one thing I did not get to with Howard, Howard said if you're looking for an entire book or 300 pages of Ricky talking in the third person, you're not going to get that. There's so much other stuff there. What I meant to ask Howard is how often does Ricky actually speak in the third person? Tony made it pretty clear, at least at that time he did, when his cleats were breaking. That was a great moment. Great story. Oh, yes. I love that sound. Puts a smile on my face every single time because that is the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. What Shopify does is it gives entrepreneurs the resources that were once reserved for big business. So upstarts, startups, and established businesses alike can sell everywhere, synchronize online and in-person sales, and keep you informed effortlessly. Scaling your business is a journey of endless possibility. Believe me, I I know this. I've lived this. I know where we started with this podcast, and I know where we are right now. I love how Shopify has the tools and resources that make it easy for any business to succeed from down the street to around the globe. They're that good. And like our business, Shopify has powered over millions of others from first sale to full scale. You can reach customers online and across social networks with an ever-growing suite of channel integrations and apps, including Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, and more. More than a store, Shopify grows with you. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. So, go to shopify.com slash Rome, all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Try it for yourself for 14 days. Grow your business with Shopify. Go to shopify.com slash R-O-M-E right now, shopify.com slash Rome. It's rich! On short notice, we find out that Alvin is not coming in. Alvin is not here. And as I mentioned at the end of last hour, the last we heard of Alvin, it was Friday. It was his birthday. He was going into a big birthday weekend. Remember when I spoke to Alvin on air? I said, what is the plan other than you getting nice? But what is the plan? He's like, you know, dude, one of the kids has a violin recital, and then there's another, I don't know, there's a game. And if everything comes together... If everything comes together, I've got some vodka in the freezer and, most importantly, a Red Robin run. I'm like, great, dude. Get after it. Apparently, he did because he's not here right now. 
Alvin's not here. So I'm not sure what happened. JP and Riverside's got a theory. Hey, Rome, maybe Alvy is getting a vasectomy today. <laughs> Kudo and JP. I hope he's getting it chopped off altogether. Neither one is true. Now, there's no way we're that lucky. More than likely, yeah, and you can set your watch to this. Alvin will take a six-week paternity leave in exactly eight months and 28 days from Mark. And before I get to my player profile, that's coming up next. The player profile is coming up in about 30 seconds. Hey, Jim, when Ike stormed the beaches of Normandy, where did he keep his candy, chips, and soft drinks? Signed, David from Arkansas. David, great question. However, I made light of that when I asked, did he storm the beaches? He did not actually storm the shore. He only ordered the invasion. He did not actually run up on them himself. He ordered the others to do so. He's Ike. It's Rit. It's lit. Let's talk smack off. So if you're still a little bit slow on the uptake, and this is how important the smack off is, that I would go to it an hour number two on a Monday. If you're still a little bit slow on the uptake, Smack Off 28 is in fact barreling towards us like a runaway freight train right about now. So either you have been in a coma or you're already dead if you're not aware of what's going on. Either way, you have to steer clear of the tracks because the main event is coming fast, really, really fast. And the smack off cannot stop. It has no brakes. It's coming. Get off the tracks. Now, if you want in and you want to have a look at the five gur and history and the strap, you need to get in. Like right now, you need to get in. Because now we're down to 13 shows. 13 shows between now and June 24th. I am off one of those days. And whoever is guest hosting that day will not have the authority to award anybody a golden ticket. So 13 shows, but in reality, 12. So if you want to rip your ticket today, you better RSVP. Or if you want to rip your ticket, do it today. And if you want to RSVP, you should do that as quickly as possible. RSVP ASAP. If you have a prediction on how the event's going to go down, film it horizontally. Keep it classy. Send it off to smackoffvideos at gmail.com. We will get it played on national TV as long as it's not your homemade porn or footage of you actively partaking in drug use or violence or profanity. I understand for you clones, that's a lot to ask. I understand that. However, we are talking about CBS daytime television here, so the standard is the standard. Now, on Friday... I said that if you want to secure a player profile, the best way to do that is to call up an RSVP. If we know you're going to show to the party, we will hype the bleep out of your arrival. That was the deal that I offered up, and I'm about to pay that off right now. Because a 2021 top tenor came through and made his RSVP call this past Friday. So I want to make good on what I said. Today... Mark in Boston gets the profile treatment. No one saw what Aaron Rodgers looked like because the programming geniuses at TNT aired the match at 4 p.m. local time on a Wednesday. So let me get this straight. You have access to four of the NFL's best, 12 holes mic'd up 
and you put it up at 4 p.m. against Judge Judy and Matlock reruns? Who in the hell came up with that terrible time slot, dude? Damon Amendolara? Hey, Jim, I know you want RSVPs. I have it on good authority that Benny and Wisco is not going to call this year. Good strategy, Ben. Listen, you'll get a free pass just as long as you say you can't call, but still manage to find time to live tweet the entire event, immediately jump on the Stuck Nut after show, and then spend the next 12 hours on Woodscopes breaking down the event from every angle. Looking at you, Mike and Indy. You coming to the prom this year, brah, or are we just reading your breakdown again live on the Internet? Hey, listen, Jim, last Mac off, I was tired. I was exhausted. I put in like 30 all-nighters before the smack off. I had herpes before the smack off, two outbreaks in the span of a week. But I'm here. I'm healthy. I'll be there. Bye. Love it. So when I talk about no RSVP, I'm not talking about somebody saying, hey, Rome, I'll be there. Bye. That's a, the RSVPs, the best RSVPs are like smack off calls within a smack off call. That's Mark in Boston. He's flexing. He's showing you what he's got. He's calling to tell us that he will be there for his sixth smack off on the 24th. And let me say this right off the bat. There are definitely more decorated clones roaming this here jungle. Now, Mark has a high ceiling. His best will beat plenty of others' best. The question is, will we get his best when it matters most? Will he even participate when it matters most? He has skipped the event plenty of times. As I mentioned, this, if he shows up, will only be his sixth event. However, he says he's coming. However, when this guy is locked in, he is dangerous. He has the ability to be uncommon amongst the most uncommon. We talk about it all the time with our horses. If we don't think we have a legitimate chance to win, we're not running. That's this dude. He's not showing up unless he feels like he's sitting on a big race with a chance to win. He just hasn't yet, but it doesn't mean that he can't. He can, and he is willing to try different things. He is willing to take big swings. He's willing to put himself out there. He's willing to take a risk. You know, like that one back in Smack Off 26, this enormous swing. Sean, you look like Guy Fieri if you went bald and broke. Are you the host of Diners, Drive-Ins, and Career Dives? Shawnee has so much oil in his blood, he passes the Kurt Orban test. Cruz Pedregon isn't offering to put Sean on his car this year. He wants to inject him straight into the engine. Hey, Jim, guess what? It's Romo time. Hey, Romo here. That free solo guy is getting ready to scale Rick in Buffalo's nose. Plenty of holes for Alex Honnold to grab up there, Romo. Rick looks like he was the goalie for his high school darts team. He modeled his game after EJO. Brad's voice is so damn irritating, it gives me jock itch. You think that guy's voice is bad? Wait till you see his head. His dome has four sharp corners. When his kids want to unlock his iPhone, they point the face ID at the Minecraft guy. Sean, let's put down the cookies. What the hell? Good point, Romo. When you look like a giant glass of milk with eyes, it's not called eating cookies, though. It's called dunking them. <laughs> Too much. Like, on the one hand, Mark understands the format, right? He's analyzed this thing. He knows what you got to do. Like, bam, bam, bam. One-liner, one-liner, one-liner. And then he drags Romo into it. Bill Romanowski, like, one of my guys. You know I love Romo. Making a cameo in his 
in his phone call. Mark in Boston drags Romo in, and it seems like a good idea, but it was executed so horribly. I mean, extremely forgettable. Do you understand how hard it is to make Romo randomly showing up at the smack off, quote, extremely forgettable? I mean, it's not Romo's fault. And it was just an epic Mark in Boston fail on the bit and the idea and the execution. Like he was actually rolling into it, and then he brings Romo, and the thing comes to a screeching halt. But, but, credit for shooting your shot. Too bad that was an air ball. Except my man is a high-volume shooter. And like any great shooter, he knows he's going to knock some down. He might even knock the next one down. Every great shooter thinks the next one's going in. You don't believe me? He kept shooting. You don't believe me? Ask my guy Rich Ackerman. Remember that time Mark was on hold? And then there was a technical issue, and it messed up a Rich Ackerman sports update. Leading to this, coming out of the break in the very next segment. Remember? I just want to address the elephant in the room or the elephant that wasn't in the room. Hey, Rich Smackerman, I know that we're all trying to practice social distancing right now, but you can't socially distance yourself from your phone when you're working from home to do the sports update. You can't disappear and be rich, go get a Smackerman. All right, see, this is why this guy's dangerous. This is why... This guy, when I say to you he has ceiling, and although he is not one, he can. He's smart, he's quick, and when he's dialed, he can hang with anybody in the jungle, which he proved again with an eighth-place finish in last year's event on the strength of this call. And this is why we need the smack-off. Without your show this day, every caller would sound like Bobby in Brooklyn. Basically, local radio. Oh, yeah, hey, X-Man, love the show. First time, long time. I'm so freaking steamed about the Indians right now. Hey, Tito, why don't you spend less time grabbing your beanbag and doing the weird signs and coach the game? Anyway, traffic's bad. I'll hang up and listen. Jimmy, if you get rid of this smack-off, I will pay a 50K retainer to Mark Garagos and sue you for everything that you're worth. Hey, shout out to Rich Flores for being the only guy on the planet who actually thought Mike was storming Big Wangs. Hey, Rich, I think you think strippers like you too, huh? Trapper, I'd say rest in peace, but considering you're in a Folgers can in Rich's living room like Donnie from Lebowski, I don't know if peace is on the horizon. Trap, I got a Ouija board on standby. Tell me your coordinates. We'll bust in that efficiency and set you free. Good night, sweet prince. I mean, dude went there? Clearly, Mark is never afraid to go there, wherever there is. You don't have to remind this guy to get his hacks in, because since 2015, Mark in Boston has been coming in and then coming out his cleats, swinging out his ass, trying to knock the scoreboard over regardless of count. My man is swinging 3-0 regardless of what sign the third base coach is dropping on him. He's getting his hacks in. I am putting that crown on my head if I have to take a baseball bat to the person wearing it. Guys like Tyler, Sarah T, Matt, Callan Vegas, if you're on hold, hang up. You aren't good at calling the show. Who wants to walk with Jeff in Richmond? You really should not brag about something you can't do. I mean, be honest. How long ago did the type 2 beat us? Take those feet. The run you're giving Caleb right now is the furthest this dude's ever run in his life. The kid is out of breath just listening. Hey, Brad, 
you've won five of these things and you still sell insurance with Reggie? Bro, you could have your own show in the middle of the night that no one listens to, like Sean. Gino, my God, dude, shut up already. Rick, you're a science teacher, right? I have a physics question for you about gravity. Why are you able to grow hair on your face but not your head? It doesn't make sense. You cannot cover up ugly Rick. I am Detroit-born and brought up in freaking Florida. I've got the blood of a scumbag, and I was raised by Florida Man. You want Florida Man clones? You got Florida Man. A dangerous mix. The guy who will burn down your whole neighborhood and then walk his pet alligator on a leash around the flame. What a bad look for DA. How much longer? is CBS going to keep paying him when they realize a teacher from Buffalo and a stay-at-home dad in Corona are better at talking sports than him? Hey, DA, how is it possible that your call could actually make me want to hear more Matt in L.A.? So yeah, I do love the Red Sox, but Caleb always loves his tube sock. Does Romo cut up lines of creatine when he's at your table and offer you the mirror like, you want to hit this, bro? I just think it's kind of odd that NASCAR is the only sport where there's literally a crankshaft right in the driver's face the whole time. Oh, sorry, wrong segment. War playing Connect Four on Seal's face. Jim, I know the challenge before me is great. The odds are long. But much like Antonio Camardi when he found out his wife's tubes were tied, Challenge accepted. Henry Wiggler, Ron Faye, Larry Brown, good night now. <laughs> wow, my dude. Let me tell you about the smack off. This is how tough it is to win that thing. So if you hear something like that, you know how good that is, right? And you know how tough it would be to beat that guy. That guy's best finish is a fifth. Is a fifth. You got to be damn good to come in fifth on that day because that's the one day out of the year where the very best go at it. And I don't mean the best, as I always say, not the best this season, but the best ever. The best who've ever called this show for 30 years or allowed in on that day. But when you hear that montage, you hear how good that guy is, and you realize the best he's ever done is fifth, that tells you how tough the field is. That tells you what it takes to win the thing because that's good. This guy's got it. Plenty of it. He's got the tools to get it done. He's been in the top 10 three times. He's been in the top five. He just needs that one game-changing call. Again, another horse racing analogy. We always talk about this. They just have to run their best ever. If he runs his best ever, he can hit the board and maybe even rip the strap. He's got that kind of upside. So we're waiting on you, Mark. Your best day on the biggest day. No pressure, dude. Just kidding. A lot of pressure. But I think you're built for it, man. I think you are built for it. I think you've got the game. See you on the 24th. I appreciate the RSVP. This is what you're up against if you want to get a golden ticket. If you want to be in the day of. If you want to win that thing. Again, he's got three top tens. He's got a top five. But he's never done better than that one top five. And you heard what he's got. You heard his potential. It is the Smack Off. It's June 24th, Smack Off 28. Five Gur to the winner. Nothing for second place, even less for third. I need to hear from you. Are you coming or not? RSVP. Are you craving some protein after a good workout? Do not make a shake or eat a bar. Instead, grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Wild Trapper, because Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender, and it's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. Old Trapper is a family-owned business that takes smoked beef extremely seriously, and you can taste it in every single bite. 
I mean, who wants dried out tough beef in a bag? No one. It's like eating a shoe. Old Trapper is the real deal, and it comes in four amazing flavors. Old Fashioned is sweetened with a touch of brown sugar goodness, teriyaki, peppered, and hot and spicy for those of you who like to take things up a notch. Next time you want a great protein and energy snack that you can have anytime, anywhere, grab some Old Trapper beef jerky. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. That way you can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares Oh, trapper, what's your beef? <laughs> I want to go to the phones. So the mystery is, where is Alvin? I can't tell you where he is, but I can tell you where he is not. Here. And how ironic of him. That Friday was his birthday. We sent him off to his birthday weekend. He laid out for us what he was going to do on his birthday weekend. I actually had him on the air. I said, Alvin. Aside from birthday coitus, what are you doing for your birthday? Well, dude, I got some vodka in the freezer, and so-and-so's got a violin recital, and if we're lucky, we're going to have a Red Robin run. Are we good? So I can have all-you-can-eat fries at Red Robin. So we don't know. He, all I know is Rit is running the board. Hey, I, good job today, man. Good job. You got off to kind of a shaky start, but I thought you settled in nicely. Way to go. Thank you. I, we're not there yet, but... So I think it's going to be okay. So there's this question. Where is Alvin? What happened to Alvin? Last we saw, he was getting ready for his birthday weekend and all his birthday sex. People are into that sort of thing. I can't judge. I'll put it out to you. Let's go to the phones. Oh, looky here. Look who's got a theory. Look who's got an opinion. No way. Let's go to Portland. James, my man, what's going on? Jimmy, my man, and Alvy, if you're listening, what an epic party over the weekend, brother. Sorry I'm so slow, but like Alvy, I'm recovering from a sex hangover. I had no idea when Alvin said we're going to a violin recital and getting unlimited steak fries at Red Robin was code for... Super Swingers Extravaganza. Jimmy, you should have seen this party. You walk in the door and a naked Albie chucks you a bottle of custom KY, a jello shot, and there was a bucket of condoms with a sign above it that said optional. War giving Albie a high five during a wicked, well, how do I say this, Jim? Menage toi. Come on! Come on, James in Portland. You know that golden ticket that I gave to you, James. You know what? You still have it. James in Portland, known for a lot of things, but mostly for his fascination with Alvin's sex life. The reason Alvin's sex life is a topic on the program is because Alvin has many, many, many children. I lost count a long time ago. The only reason I know this is every time he has said child, he takes six weeks, the max allowable by California law for paternity. And Alvin's going to get it in. And he does. Get that out of here. So I'm always terrified right around birthday time that Alvin might, well, procreate. And I can always set my watch to it. Nine months from Mark, I'm going to be without him for six weeks. 
I mean, you, you heard how the first hour went without Alvin. So imagine how this show goes when he takes six weeks off at a time. And he does take six weeks off at a time. Like, nothing against Alvin. Nothing I would not say to his face that I haven't said a million times to his face. But, like, the way, and granted, I am the host of the show. Granted, I might make a little more money than Alvin. Fair. Fair. I've tried to play my way through everything imaginable. Like, whatever it is, I try to come to work, no matter what. Like, I have this weird sense of... You know, if I don't do it, somebody else will, or this is my separation, or I don't know. I just, I've always had that kind of pride in you show up, you show up. Availability is your best ability. This is why I try to play through that double hernia and I'm sweating to death and crying on the air. Well, not Alvy. Alvy knows, hmm, let me look at the uh, book here, the code book. Six weeks, done. I almost think that Alvin has kind of done the math. All right, if I have to raise a kid, that's a minimum of 18 years of financial and emotional support, but I do get six weeks off if I have that kid. Like, Alvin's done the math, you know? I don't know. Anyway, James, you still have your golden ticket. Thank you. It's always close, but you still have it. 1-800-636-8686. Let's go to the phones. Like, I know this guy. And I'm not sure how I know this guy. I've kind of got this sense. Like, right, if I see a market, especially a market like Chicago, I know who in Chicago is called the program. So Mark in Chicago, it kind of rings a bell. I Like, I know this guy, and I can't figure out how I know this guy, but I know this guy. I guess there's one way to find out. Let's go to Chicago. Mark. Hey, Mark, what's up? Romy, I am just coming off of cloud nine after watching uh, Rafa attain his uh, 14th French Open crown. I uh, just wanted to know, did you watch the French Open yesterday? That's my man. That's how I know that guy. Are you happy, Mark, that he attained his 14th French Open title? Are you happy that he attained it? The, the reason I know that guy, and I knew that I knew that guy, but I couldn't remember why I knew that guy. A year ago, when I was coming off my summer vacation, he called me and asked me if I watched Wimbledon. And I had to remind him at that time that, yes, Mark, I host a syndicated talk show. I'm a radio Hall of Famer. They pay me to watch sports. So I watch a lot of sports. Now, do I see every single game that's ever played? No, nobody could. Do I see every single game that matters? Absolutely. Would I miss something like the Wimbledon final? Never, ever. I always get that. Like people, but, but I get that from people who don't know. Like, people who know that I do what I do, and if I go somewhere and I see somebody, or I see a vendor, or I get my hair cut, or something like that, somebody might say, hey, did you watch the NBA Finals last night? And I forgive them of that because they don't know. Or they think it's a way to start a conversation. However, if you're a listener to this program, you should not be asking me, hey, Rome, did you watch Game 2 of the NBA Finals? You can go ahead and assume that I've seen it. You can go ahead and assume that I've seen the French Open final. So it'd be like asking me, hey, Rome, did you watch the Super Bowl? Thank you, Ike. You're settling in nicely, Pops. Yes, Mark in Chicago. And, bro, I'll check in with you the next time there. Maybe the Australian Open, top of the year. You want to hit that? Yes, I saw the French. I even have thoughts on Rafa. I just haven't been able to get to it yet. But, yes, I have. 1-800-636-8686. 
8686. We're doing so well with the phone. Yeah, there you go. We're doing so well with the phone, so why don't we just stay right there? From James to Mark to my guy in Santa Maria. Love Santa Maria. I actually, for a time, I worked in Santa Maria. One of those rare times in my life where I tried to sell. I tried to sell radio time in Santa Maria. It went horribly. Like all of my sales time. Larry in Santa Maria. Larry, what's going on, my man? What's going on, Governor? What's How good, dude? Guy? Good, man. How about good, you? Good, good. I'm all right. I'm all right. Hey, man, I'm going to tell you where Alvy's at. Talk Alvy, to me. Alvy is in Pound, Wisconsin. He's messing with his wife, Naughty Bitch, up there. He's on crack, man, too. Just like you were, Jim, I can prove it. You remember when that lady called your show and said you was on crack? Well, I did a little sleuth work. Now, tell me, if you weren't on crack, how do you explain Jake and Logan? Okay, yeah. Anyway, bro, next time you're up in Santa Maria on vacay, come on up to the Central Coast. I promise Lou and his drunk girlfriend won't bother you and your family. And you can get some real good food from King James Elite Soul Food, Jim. My man, I appreciate right. that, Larry. I'll talk to you. Next time I'm up in Santa Maria, I'll definitely hit you up. Of course, I haven't been to Santa Maria in 30 years. I don't remember a woman saying I was on crack. And I can absolutely guarantee to you that Logan and Jake are not a response or in response to my being on crack. You know how I know that? I've never been on crack. I'm just not a crack guy. Vodka, sure. Tequila, absolutely. Gin, and back in the day for sure. Crack, never. You know why? Crack is whack. I have never, ever been on crack. So that's not true. That's not crack is whack. where those kids came from. Crack is whack. I'm not really sure what that meant. My man, Larry. Good to hear from you, though. My man. Whatever it is you were saying or talking about, but no. I, I know where Jay came from. I know where Logan came from. Not crack. How about an ATP? Things were getting a little wacky down the stretch. Let's check an ATP. Mr. Rome, have you ever met Ricky Henderson? Would you consider interviewing him? Respectfully, Edward Marino. Eddie, my man. Eddie, my guy. Edward is so straight. Like, every take is so straight. It's just straightforward question, ATP. But it works. I have met Ricky. I've interviewed Ricky maybe once or twice way back in the day. But like Howard Bryan said, he was kind of media adverse. Ricky was not accessible to the media. I always had an extreme fascination with Ricky Henderson. Thought he was one of the most incredible athletes, one of the most amazing players I'd ever seen in my life. I loved, loved Ricky. Loved him then, love him now. Love all the stories. There was nobody like him. Dude, there was nobody like Ricky Henderson. I mean, he really was one of one. So I always wanted to interview him. I think a couple of times, and, you know, he, he didn't have a lot to say at that time, but I can see it. Romy. Since you seem to be a big fan of the new Top Gun Maverick movie, my question is, if you were a Navy fighter pilot, what would your call sign be? Pete in Madison. That's interesting. Pimp of the box? Or just pimp? Romer. What else? Smacker. 
Snagger. Tan Smack. Tan Man. Pimp kind of covers all that, doesn't it? Turtleneck, Tan Smack. I don't know. What's the protocol on that? How many, how many characters can you have for your call sign? Any one of those things work. Pimp, Romer, Snagger, I think. I like Snagger. I'm pretty proud of Snagger. Tan Smack. Straight Fire. Nice job, Pete. I know this. I haven't uh, compared notes with him. So I said coming out of that movie theater, I liked it. And I was like the only one under the age of 94 walking out of that theater. A lot of nostalgia in that house. And I saw it on IMAX screen, which was incredible. And I wondered, though, what the younger generation would think of it. Logan saw it last night with his boys. But I haven't seen Logan yet. I haven't touched base with Logan. Actually, I hit Logan with a long-form text this morning. Shock of all shocks, he did not respond. Nice respect, son. Hey, son, who's paying for that iPhone? That's right. Snagger. Respond to the old man. I wanted to ask him what he thought of the movie. But I don't know. Let's see here. Almost done. Yes, I checked out the French Open final. No, those kids are not in response to my being on crack. There you go, Ike. The XR4TI, everybody stepped up big in the absence of Alvin. I don't know where he is. I don't know when he's coming back. Ike, nice job. Cindy, nice job. Tommy, nice job. D-Dub, nice job. Big Head, wherever the hell you are, nice job. Clones, nice job. We're looking at a possible player profile tomorrow. If you want to be profiled, I got an idea. RSVP. Try that. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. See you tomorrow. We're out. Good night now.